0: All right, go ahead and uh, take a seat if you haven't already. We say this a lot, but man, it's my favorite time every week, seeing you guys gather together and, and meet people for the first time, or maybe especially moments like this, getting to know things about each other you didn't know before. I was racking my brain, what is something that may not be uh, a random fact that may not be obvious? I think it's Kathy, are you saying you're a universal donor? Okay, so... Um, this is random. I don't know what my blood type is. I can't remember. Um, but this will give you a little glimpse into my childhood. I, I know it's either a B positive or an A uh, negative because I remember going to my mom after I found out in school and asking her what I needed to do to bring it up to a solid A. <laughs> True story. True story. Uh, Asian family. All right. So tiger mom. All right. So, uh, and tiger dad. All right. Uh, Hey, so we are, my name is Taka, for those of you guys that are new, uh, for those of you guys that are not new, I'm still Taka. Uh, We are, uh, this this past week we officially launched into summer. It's officially uh, summer uh, now, which it feels like summer. I'm so grateful for those of you that were with us through... the Pepper Tree Park, Newport Beach, all the outdoor places we were uh, at. I'm really glad we're not outside today. I don't know if when you were driving in, you saw uh, the church truck and uh, trailer out there. Even the walk from there to here felt like a death march. So I'm really glad, and I'm I'm really glad that we don't live in the IE. So All everyone that I know, we have a group of people to watch from Riverside, Corona. I don't know how you do it, man. I'm just really glad. That we're an OC. So we're officially in summer. So let me give you a breakdown of kind of how the next uh, couple months are gonna run. Uh, we, uh, every summer, every summer meaning like the two summers we've existed as a church, but uh, every summer we take uh, four weeks and we do what we call mic drop. And what we do there is we pass the mic around uh, to individuals in the church, outside the church, that have a unique, uh, not g- a gift to communicate, but also just a unique message. That they uh want to give and they feel like it's a god thing, we feel like it's a god thing, and it's not tied to a sermon series other than that it's like a, a series around not being tied to a series, if that makes sense. So they can have a one-off uh message. So when the like last year was unique, obviously, because there's a little thing I never heard of it called COVID that kinda went around, kinda shut down the, the globe. Um But we were able to have guest speakers from across the pond and stuff setting in videos because we were meeting virtually uh, online uh so this week some of you guys uh, most of you guys will know this couple but mike and tiff are actually going to fly back so we're going to kick off the series in july july 25th end of july we're going to kick off the series for four weeks And the first uh, speaker, speakers, I don't know if it's just going to be Mike or Mike and Tiff, uh, is going to come speak and kick off a series for us. So we're looking forward to that. If you guys that don't know, uh, they helped us launch the church, incubated here for three years, trained how to church plant. Uh, We taught them everything we knew, and that took about five minutes. And then we showed them uh, what what we did, and they either learned uh, what to do by what we did or they learned what not to do by what we did. So they're here for three years, they launched out, and we supported them as a church to go launch a, a new church in Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin. And so uh, those, there's a plenty of people in the church that actually gave one-time gifts or monthly gifts to help them launch. And you gotta know this too, that a portion of every uh, dollar that comes in throughout the week, throughout the month uh, in your normal tithes and offerings goes towards church planning around the world. Ten percent, We give 10% away to missions, at least we give probably closer to 12, 13% away to missions around the world. And then on top of that, uh, we gave a large gift uh, to uh, the City House Church, Mike and Tiff's uh, new church are launching. So you may not realize it, but you're a part of launching a new life giving church in Milwaukee. So well done. Good job. Uh, so we're doing that. Uh, last week, Eric, one of our teaching team members, one of our elders, uh, spoke. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to that or watch that for whatever reason, please go back on Facebook, listen to the podcast during your commute, watch on YouTube, whatever, but it was really, really, really good. So today, uh, we're going to hop back into the series, uh, Hello, My Name is Jesus. And what we're doing is we're walking through the Gospel of Luke. And one of the reasons why we're going through the Gospel of Luke is because all of us have our own biases, right? All of us. All of, our, all of us through uh, our experiences, through the successes, through our upbringing, by nature or nurture, sometimes through uh, pain that we've gone through we have a, a lens that we see the world through, right? And that lens gets colored. None of us see the world clearly. None of us see people clearly. None of us see issues clearly. We all have biases, whether we realize them or not. And that bias, that coloring of the lens, colors everything that we experience, right? So sometimes we see things that are not there because of our experiences, right? We color into relationships things that the person didn't intend, but it triggered something from our past. And we do the same thing with Scripture. So one of the things we wanted to create here at Voice is diversity. We've talked about this before. Diversity is a nice idea, right? It's neat. It, it's, it looks great on the church flyer, the church website. I want to be part of a diverse church. But what that means practically, we got to understand this, is what that means practically is that we want to be around an environment where there are people sitting next to you that see the world differently than you. That you're going to be in a small group where there's someone sitting across from you that votes differently than you, that believes different things, that had a different childhood, that believes that the solutions to the world may be different solutions than you think. Maybe someone that your parents said, don't hang out with those people. That's what diversity means. So we as a church need to be really careful and have a humble heart that's teachable, heart of a learner, heart of someone that's curious, ask questions, right? Instead of going, you're wrong and here's all the reasons why you're wrong, right? Because that never works to build relationships, right? Ask, why do you think that way? Learn. Learn. Instead of saying, well, no, that's not true. That doesn't exist. No, no, no. Tell me about what it's like to be you. Walk me through your shoes. So, Uh, With that, we read the Bible, and so many times, the reason why it makes sense for us, or the reason that applies for us what we're talking talking about today, is we can read Scripture and go, oh, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Great. But you're reading something from the other side of the planet from thousands of years ago. So just like you sit in a small group and you're like, I didn't realize You thought that. That's what your childhood was like? Just, there's diversity while we're here in 2021 in California. There is stuff lost in translation. How much more so? Reading something written thousands of years ago in a different language, different languages, to a people that we fundamentally don't understand what they're going through. So it, it's more than, I've heard people say this all the time, uh, growing up in church in early days in leadership, that people would say, here's what this Bible verse means to me, right? But here's a problem with that. It doesn't matter what the Bible verse means to you. What does the verse mean? Right, like you pull over by the cop. You can't go, well, the red light means speed up. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter what it means to you, right? If I were to say this, so I, I grew up in Chicago, born and raised, and if I were to say, um, there was a prophecy, and I found it etched in a wall uh, outside the Sears Tower, and it said, and it said uh, there was a group of men who had the face of a bull, and their leader had a number of 23, and his right-hand man had the number of 33, and on his other side was a man with hair of many colors who could get boards And they wore six rings of gold. Right? Some of you guys are like, what does that mean? What do the six rings represent? Does that mean they're coming back and take over the... No, no, no. Anybody who follows sports knows it's the Chicago Bulls. And if I were to say that in Chicago, people are like, are you an idiot? Obviously, this is about the Chicago Bulls. There's some stuff that... Now, if I were to say that same thing 100 years from now, or even today in Ecuador, they'd be like, what, what are you talking about? What does that mean? Because there are things that as we read through Scripture, specifically the Gospels, that were obvious to the hearers, were obvious to the first century readers, that we color in, our lens colors what this, what it means. We're going, oh, here's what it actually must mean. It doesn't mean that at all. So what we're, we're, we're doing is we're going through the Gospel of Luke, the whole teaching team, and our goal isn't to try to make it say something, our goal is to help you understand context and fill in the blanks to be like a translator of sorts so that you can think about what was it like to be a first century listener here, right there. And so that's the context. We have a short passage today, but I think it'll be helpful. So hopefully you'll, you'll hear things that you've never uh, heard before, unless you went through maybe seminary and then hopefully you still hear something new. So here's uh, what uh, the passage is. It's Luke chapter 20, uh, verse 20. Uh, And it starts with this. It says, Watching for their opportunity, the leaders sent spies pretending to be honest men. We'll read through it, then we'll we'll come back. They tried to get Jesus to say something that could be reported to the Roman governor so he would arrest Jesus. Teacher, they said, the spies. Teacher, they said, we know that you speak and teach what is right and are not influenced by what others think. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And here's the thing. Most of us, I think we will read this and go, cool, what happened next? And miss what's happening. So let's color it in a little bit. Waiting for their opportunity. So what's happening here is the leaders of the Sanhedrin at this time, the religious leaders were also political leaders at the time. They were setting a trap for Jesus. They wanted Jesus to go away. They were, Jesus was making their life really uh, uncomfortable because he was seeing through their duplicity, right? Jesus saw faith and spirituality as something to be lived out. It wasn't veneer. It wasn't just exterior. It was a heart issue, and out of that heart issue actually flowed how you actually lived, It wasn't a political thing. It wasn't a career move. It was a heart community issue. And so they didn't like that he kept on going back to heart issues. They wanted to keep it surface. So they wanted Jesus to fail. And you may have experienced this, that you're trying to do good. You're trying to work hard. You're trying to build in the community. You're trying to do whatever. Advance your career. Build relationships. And then there are people that actually want you to fail. You experienced that? Maybe you're a rising star at your work and there's people that want to see you fail. You're doing good in the community. You're starting a business. You're going to school, whatever. you, And then there's people that, that want you to not succeed. They're actually waiting for you. And then there's a, a whole nother level of people where they actually, it seems like they have a vendetta against you and you don't know why. It doesn't make any sense. The, there's been people like that in our lives, and I, I'm not a people pleaser. I'm an Enneagram 8. So for the most part, I don't care if people like me or not. Not like a, like, a, like you know, I don't, really don't care about them. I care about people, but it doesn't bother me usually if someone doesn't like me. Because my Enneagram 8 kind of ENTJ on the Myers-Briggs kind of, my, my person personality is like, well, they're lost. <laughs> you know You know what I mean? So I don't know if that's good or bad. But there's a lot of people that if I said, hey, this person, man, they don't like you. That would bother you, right? And you try to fix it. You try to talk to them. You try to, but you can't. There are just some people that are not going to like you. And there are just some people, maybe because of their pain and misery loves company, sometimes hurt people hurt people. And so they just want to see you fail because they failed. Whatever reason, there are people that will be little keyboard warriors, right? Comment on your social media, want to go back and forth, not because they want to learn anything, not because they want to seek truth, but simply because they want to stir things up, right? Right? Look, if you don't want to offend people, just don't do anything and don't say anything. But if you ever want to make a difference, if you ever want to live into your God calling, there's going to be people that want you to fail. And I don't understand why. And the thing is, you, I just resign myself to the fact like you don't have to understand why. If, if, if Jesus had haters, you will too. Right, If the Son of God, who did everything right, had people that wanted him to fail to the point, religious leaders, to the point where they were trying to set traps for him. If that happened to Jesus, what's going to happen to you? What's going to happen to me? He didn't have blindsides. You and I do. So sometimes the haters are right. And we can learn. And sometimes the haters just want to hate stuff. Either way, if you don't want to offend people, just don't do anything, don't say anything. Oh, my old teacher in high school used to say that if, if you want to make everyone happy, sell ice cream. But even then, in our neighborhood, those of you guys that have been over... Ice cream trucks come by like at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. So even ice cream trucks get hate in our neighborhood. So I think they're selling more than ice cream, but we'll see. We might need to do a little sting operation to see what's really going on. But here's, so here's all these people that are just waiting for Jesus to fail. got to catch this. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do in response to people who were trying to set a trap for him? People that were literally sending spies Hiring people, mercenaries, to go in to set traps for Jesus. What was Jesus' response? Did he take them out for coffee? Let me explain to you. Let me try to make it right. What did Jesus do? He stayed focused. Jesus simply stayed focused on the mission. Now here's the thing. I'm not saying that you don't learn from people who critique you. I'm so grateful for all the people that are part of this church. I watch online, they're in person, that give good critique, honest critique. Help us be better. You need, to, you need critique, and they make, make us better. But the wounds of a friend are faithful. But there's some people that just want to be angry. And to those people, I ignore them. I don't even respond. You know, sometimes the be like, what are you going to text them back? What are you going to write back? Nothing. Because that's the last thing they want. I'm not going to keep adding wood to the fire and wondering why it keeps burning, right? A fire dies for want of wood. let it let it die. let it die. so you, I mean, think about it when you try to do this on social media, right? you, get, you put your full Facebook post about whatever there's a hundred topics you could have gotten war zone topics the last year and a half, right and you go back and forth with someone, maybe an old high school friend. You're going, why would they say that? And you go back, oh, I'm going to teach them. They just don't have contact. I'm going to teach them. Go back and forth. How, how'd that work out for you? Have you ever had a, had a Facebook argument? Have you heard anyone say, like, I used to believe this, but now I believe this because I got an argument on Facebook. <laughs> and now I see the light. You don't hear it. Now you hear yeah, I used to talk to them, but now I, if I see my Trader Joe's, I walk the opposite way because we got an argument on Facebook, right? Okay, so Jesus uh, said, focus on the mission. The Sanhedrin, the leaders, sent spies to go talk to Jesus, to try to catch him in a trap. They're slimy. They start out with all this flattery, right? They say, you know, teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and you are not influenced by what others think, right? In the Midwest, we say that blowing sunshine up your skirt. I don't know why why that is a thing, but that's the phrase. They're flattering him. You teach the way of God truthfully. And then they land the question. Now tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Here's what's really happening. The Sanhedrin cannot arrest Jesus for a couple reasons. One, they don't have the authority yet. He hasn't done anything blatantly wrong. He's tiptoed around potential Uh, crimes, uh, blasphemy in particular, but he hasn't done anything specifically wrong that they could arrest him. Also, uh, they're afraid of the people's response because he's popular. Remember, Palm Sunday just happened. So he's riding the donkey in, Messiah, prophecy, people are laying down clothes and palm leaves in front of him, right? You've been to Sunday school, you've done the palm leaves thing, right? So this is happening. They don't want to mess that up. So the Sanhedrin, they want him gone. They can't arrest him. They, even if they did have a crime against them, they couldn't arrest him publicly because it would start an insurrection or start a riot. So what do they do? They change tactics. Actually, I think it's pretty smart. They hire these spies to go in to trap Jesus and try to get Jesus to say something against Rome. Because if he says something against Rome, then the Sanhedrin doesn't have to do anything about it. The governor Roman governor will do something about it, and their hands are totally clean. When it says, the spy said, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? The word there isn't right in the sense of right and wrong. It's in the sense of lawful. Right, Righteous meaning right standing. Is it, is it lawful for us to give taxes to Caesar? I can see them in their think tank the night before crafting this sentence putting it up on the whiteboard, moving stuff around, right? Because the way they asked this question was extremely strategic. Flattery up top, right? And then, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? The reason why that word is important is because lawful, righteousness, right standing was a loaded word. For Rome, it meant abide by the law. Pax Romano, we'll talk about that in a little bit. It's follow, abide by the law. For the Jews, it was a spiritual word. Is this right, lawful, just before God? So, Jesus was from Galilee, right? I think we know this. So, because of that, it was a different setup. You would pay taxes to the local government, right? Herod Antipas, in that case, in in Galilee, and then, They would take their cut for operating the the area, and then they would forward the rest of it to Rome. Jerusalem was in Judea. What they did was they would pay what's called poll taxes, and that would go directly to Caesar. reason why that's important is because Jews didn't feel comfortable paying money to a pagan ruler. They felt like it was unlawful. They felt like it was unjust. They felt like it wasn't right from a spiritual standpoint. So from the same word means two totally different things, whether you're Roman or whether you're Jewish. The poll tax was a denarius. It was roughly a day's wage. Right. So it's a heavy burden. Imagine having to pay that much money in taxes on a regular basis. It was burdensome. Tertullian, leader in the, in the area at that time, you guys may have heard of him, you can Google him, uh, he actually called the poll tax a badge of slavery because it was that much of a burden on the people. 20 years earlier, before this happened in the gospel, 20 years earlier, when the poll tax was announced and instituted, there was a revolt in, in Israel, and uh, people died. Bloodshed happened. And so the people hearing this, Is the tax, is it right? Is it lawful? Is it just before God and man to pay this pagan man a tax? They would know people that died in that revolt, defending that it was not right. It was not just. It was not lawful. But if Jesus says that it wasn't lawful, he's an insurrectionist. Pilate takes him. If he does say it's lawful, he makes Rome happy. But his followers leave him because they don't get what he's saying. So the Pharisees set this whole thing up and think it's checkmate. We got this guy. In moments like this, I love to hit pause. We're like a Zach Morris timeout, if you used to watch Saved by the Bell. I would read the Gospels and then go pause, timeout. What would I do if I was in Jesus' shoes or his sandals or his Burks or whatever his word? Like, what would I do if I was in Jesus' Jesus's shoes in this checkmate situation? What would you do? I'd freeze. I'd probably sit there and go, good one. <laughs> good one. Break. Let's, uh, let's all take a coffee break, right? I wouldn't know what to do. So let's see what, what Jesus does. Next verse, verse 23, he says, He saw through their trickery and said, show me a Roman coin. Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they said. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. So they failed to trap him by what he said in front of the people. Instead, they were amazed by his answer, and they became silent. We'll go back and and talk through this. He schools them on multiple levels here. First thing he saw is, he's, he saw through their trickery. See, what Jesus was able to do, he was able, this happens over and over again in the Gospels, he was able to see, like, what really was and cut through what appeared to be. He cut through all the surfacey stuff and, and saw what was really happening here. He saw through their flattery. He saw through their, uh, their questioning. It may, actually made me think about, ironically, uh, years ago I went to Israel with a team And we were, uh, one of the places we stopped, you kind of have to stop, is the Jordan River. And they have this whole, like, like uh, tourist trap set up around the Jordan River and around (laughs) one section, for lack of better words. It's a meaningful, spiritual place. It's also a lot of gift shops. Uh, So, but there's this one place where a lot of people, like, wear their white robes and they get baptized in, in groups. It's a thing. So, what's weird is... There's a section of it where people like watching the baptisms and they'll put their feet like they'll sit on the edge of the stone and put their feet in the water. And then there's like these little fish, almost like those the fish at SeaWorld, you know, that eat their calluses off your fingers or whatever, except they're like this big. Uh, they could probably like eat your whole toe. Uh, but they're just like, it's like a, a thing they do there. Right. But when you're looking at the surface of water, you can't see it. But then I had polarized sunglasses. You know, A lot of you guys have polar sunglasses. So you can see through the glare. And you put them on, and it's like a horror movie poster. Like, it is like all these sucker mouths underneath the surface of the water it is the grossest thing. So, I, I took, I took I, if you can text me, I'll send them to you. I took a picture, put my camera through the sunglasses and took pictures. It's horrifying. You couldn't pay me enough to get in that water and get, I'll get baptized at someone's pool. So, it's like that. You, there's uh, what appears to be something. And then there's something else totally different going on. What I think about when I read that was that church many times can be a place uh, where you pretend. I remember growing up where, um, you know, obviously uh, grew up in an Asian home because, you know, and we would be driving to church and my parents would never miss an opportunity uh, for a life lesson and or uh, a mini sermonette, even though they weren't even Christians. But we went to church. It's a whole other story. Uh, But kind of giving me these lessons all the time, right? Which ended up in arguments the older I got. So we're having these arguments uh, going to church uh, to worship God. And none of us were Christians. Anyways, but we would be fighting in the car. And my mom, when we get in the parking lot, would go, you wipe your tears, smile. We're at church. Here's some money for offering, right? (laughs) It was all about you put up appearances when we get in that building, right? There was ingrained in me this understanding of you check yourself at the door and you put on the facade when you enter that building. There's times where I'm sure you felt it. If you've ever felt anxiety or, uh, or felt alone, felt depressed, uh, this last year has been challenging for all of us. Even the introverts, right? You hit your limits this past year, huh? Right? The most happy-go-lucky, optimistic people hit your limits this year, huh? Right? People that think the best of everybody. Last year was hard, even for you guys. Glass is half full. It's half full of something sometimes, right? And you get, little, you get a little antsy, a little excited, right? So in those moments, we can be anxious and, and stressed, but then we get into the church building. We're like, I'm blessed. How are you doing, man? Great. Can't complain, Life is good. I'm not saying you be all like mopey and emo all the time, but be honest about where you are. And a lot of times, church uh, doesn't doesn't allow that. Or on the opposite side, you get a promotion, you you win the championship. I don't know what, what you. Good things happen in your life, and then someone goes, "Oh, I saw you guys. You guys went on vacation. What was that like? It was fine." Are you humble, brag, because you don't want to come out, like, too excited about it because, you know, you don't want it to come across like you're materialistic even though you really like your new car, And right? It's it's fine. It's fine. It's false humility. Why can't we just be honest? And when you're frustrated, be frustrated. Don't be a jerk, but be frustrated. If you're hurting, be honest about that, and let's support one another. If you're excited, we want to celebrate with you, Right? If your marriage is on the rocks, then it is. And let's work through that. Can we create a church? Can we be a church where the masks come off? No pun intended, nothing to do with COVID. But like, can we be a place where the facades come off? Where it's safe to be honest? Because we talked about this before, but God cannot engage with who you pretend to be. People can't support who you pretend to be. God can only engage with who you actually are. So be honest about it. Also, another thing uh, to think about is, as uh, it relates to God seeing or Jesus seeing through what appears to be and seeing what actually is, is there so many times where, you guys, I feel, especially you guys that have go, uh, uh, you know, been promoted in leadership positions, um, the higher you go up in leadership, the less you actually see the truth right, the more people kind of hide things from you, right? And so there's so many times where I've had to pray this, where, God, would you help me to see things as you see them? Would you help me to see past the flattery and see who's being honest and he, see who's trying to be manipulative and try to, trying to position people? Who's trying to manipulate me to do things that they want me to do? Would you, but I also don't want to become jaded because I've seen the leaders do that too where they're so used to flattery that they won't either believe it all the time, they think they're better than they are, or they think, no, everyone's got an agenda. I'll be in the green room, I'm going to hide because I don't trust people anymore because they've been hurt because too many places that seemed safe weren't actually safe. So I pray all the time, God, would you help me to see people as they actually are, see situations as they actually are. Sometimes the people that are angry are just hurt. They're like the the, the story of the the lion with the thorn in their paw, right? You take the thorn out, they're fine. They're hurting just like you would hurt if you you went through that situation. And then sometimes people are angry because they're toxic. And it's contagious. And so you got to deal with that totally differently as a leader, right? So pray that God would help you see past what appears to be and what actually is and watch him do it. Watch him do it. it will be like putting on those polarized sunglasses. Sometimes you see some nasty catfish. So then he says, uh, moving on, he says, show me a Roman coin. And so someone flicks him, most likely a denarius, right? A denarius is what the poll tax was, uh, one denarius. On a denarius, I wish I had a picture of it. Probably should have done that. Uh, but if, uh, if you have a denarius, on one side is the face, or they called it a, a semi-bust, of uh, Tiberius Caesar, the, the, the Caesar of the time. And underneath is an inscription that I cannot pronounce, but in English it says Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, Augustus Caesar. Right? So Tiberius Caesar, it must be a large coin to hold all that. Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Not the man, not the emperor, not the Caesar, the divine. If you look at Roman history, the Caesars didn't believe that they were just rulers, they were just royalty. They believed they were divinity. They would say things like, no man shall be saved unless under the name of Caesar. At the name of Caesar, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Caesar was Lord. Right? So th- th- that's totally side note. So on the opposite side of the coin, so that's one thing saying Caesar's divinity. On the other side of the coin was Tiberius Caesar's mom, a semi-bust of his mom. Uh, Livia was her name, if you're interested. And on that it says Pontificus Maximus. Sounds like a cool name from like Gladiator or something. Pontificus Maximus. And what that means is high priest. High priest. So you have this coin on one side saying this this man who was all kinds of messed up. The Caesars were just really messed up. That's divine, apparently. And on the other side, his mom is also divine. Not only divine, a high priest. Okay, see, when you're a Jew, that means something high priest. That's like Moses' brother Aaron. That's a high, high priest. That's, that's a Levite. That's passed down. through. It's a high responsibility. It's a high place of honor. Not Tiberius' mom. That's not enough to be a high priest. So you can see why people had a problem with Roman rule. A little conflict of interest. So what does Jesus, Jesus say? He goes, hey, who made that coin? Caesar. Whose face is on it, Caesar? Then give Caesar what's due to Caesar. And then he says, "Give to God what belongs to God." See, for Rome that we were talking about this before, they had they have this thing called Pax Romana. Pax Romana simply means peace of Rome, right? P- not like peace, like a piece of a pie, like peace, like P-E-A-C-E, like olive branch, right? Duh. Peace of Rome, and it was a couple hundred years, roughly. And it's almost like mob mentality if you guys ever studied like the Roman Empire. It's like we're going to beat you up and then we need you to pay us taxes and we'll make sure no one else beats you up. <laughs> protection money, right? It's, it's literally how the mob spread. So that's what they did. But the good side of it was infrastructure, roads, technology, protection. No more pirates on the water, because now the seas are protected. No more civil war amongst different tribes and nations because they were all under Rome. They call that the peace of Rome, Pax Romana. Now, part of the Pax Romana was, we're going to do all this for you. You got to do your part. There's civil responsibilities. One of them was military. If we need your house, if we need your land, whatever, give it to us, part, part of Pax Romana. But also, you'd pay your dues. You'd pay your taxes it's part of being part of Rome. And if you don't pay your taxes, it's not only illegal, that's just wrong. You don't you don't appreciate all the things that Rome is doing for you? It seems very entitled and unappreciative, right? So everyone paid their taxes. So that's what Jesus says. He goes, "Look. You can give your taxes without giving your heart. That's fine." So, who minted it? Whose face is on it? Caesar? Give to Caesar what's due to Caesar. But then Jesus says, Give to God what belongs to God. Because who made you? God. Whose image is stamped on your heart? God. So what Jesus was doing here is he's saying, Look, you're focused on the externals. You're trying to trap me with the externals. I'm focused on the deeper issues the real hard issues. This is not about taxes. This is about your heart. This is why the Pharisees shut down. Because you realize, a Pharisee, by the time they were 13 years old, all the, all the children would memorize their Torah. First five books of the Bible, memorized. And if they continued to go and be selected by their rabbi to be a religious leader, they would go on to memorize the rest of what we call the Old Testament. They would call their Bible. These were individuals who gave everything to further the message of God. Their hearts were right. And then at some point, they got twisted. There's this, uh, I can't remember the name of the movie. It's not Pelican Brief. It's the one where there's like dirty water and they're trying to get a like, lawsuit. It's like, I think Matt Damon's in it. Anyways, it'll hit me this afternoon. And I'll No, it's not Aaron Brockovich. Anyways, it's, it's 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 Matt Damon. Wait, there's way Matt Damon is like his is, is lawyer, uh, and he's sitting across from like these high power lawyers, right? The 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 chemical company has a whole team of lawyers. They're trying to get out of uh, I don't know what I'm telling you this. They're trying to get out of uh, paying money to this kid who has cancer, right? Some of you guys are like I think I'm getting it. Uh, and he has this one point. And he ta- he has like this monologue as he's walking down all his B-roll, and he says. Every lawyer starts out wanting to defend people, want to help people. But then he says, at some point, they sell out. And then he talks to these individuals. He goes, they go, do you have any questions for us? And he's like, yeah, when did you guys sell out? This is one of these moments. where, like in Revelations where Jesus says, hey, you lost your first love. Go back. You've forgotten what it used to be about. This is Jesus having a moment with the Pharisees. Like, remember that 13-year-old kid that just wanted people to, to know God better? People, you, you, you just wanted people to have a thriving relationship with God. Remember that 13-year-old? What happened? What happened? You're trying to make this thing about taxes, and you're trying to trap me, but who made your heart? Whose image is on your heart? Give that back to God. What's amazing is that even to his enemies, even to individuals who were trying to kill him, he was encouraging them and challenging them and pushing them to give their hearts to God, to surrender to God. He was having a pastoral moment in the same way that later he would have with the thief on the left of him. While they were trying to trap him, he knew their main issue was the distance, distance between their heart and God if the worshiper wants to come up, close with this idea. There's this idea of the the three gaps, and the three gaps is simply, it's a very basic spiritual principle, and it's that there's three main gaps that we need to deal with in life. One is the, the gap between my heart and God, right? Second gap is the gap between me and other people. Third gap is the gap between you and God. Okay, from my perspective. And what Jesus says is, Don't worry about this one. Worry about this one and this one. Once you got that all figured out, then you can worry about that one. Something gets twisted when we ignore this and ignore this and only focus on this. That's why Jesus said things like, hey, take the plank out of your own eye, then you can see clearly enough to see the speck in someone else's eye. Right? Where are your accusers? Neither do I continue. That he who has no sin casts the first stone. Right? So you get into into trouble whenever you focus on someone else's relationship with God. Isn't that sin? Why aren't you calling out the sin in their life? I got too much stuff I'm trying to figure out between me and God right now. I don't have enough energy to try to figure out what God's trying to tell them. I got stuff I need to figure out between me and God and me and other people. That takes all my energy and then some. So how about you? How's the space between you and God? I mean, really? Really? Not the hashtag blessed. Good to see you in the house of the Lord. Really? Really, how are you and God? I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care if you serve. I don't care if you tithe. I don't care if you fostered 4,000 children this week. I don't know how you did it. (laughs) Lots of Costco rewards. But how are you and God? How's the distance between you and God? Deal with that. See, you can go to church religiously and not be close to God. Pharisees did it. If you have a lot of distance between you and God right now, can I challenge you? Set everything else aside focus on that for a season. You're like, well, I don't have time to focus on a relationship with God. Let me see your Netflix watch history. Let me see your screen time on your phone. See what apps you've been using a lot. I've only spent two hours on Instagram, but I have no time. You got time. You got time. If this isn't right, pause whatever you need to pause to focus on that. I can also say this too. Some of us, this is struggling not because of anything on God's side, but because of shame on our side. See, what sin does, sin isn't wrong because it's just wrong. What sin does is sin separates us from God. And you feel this, right? Like when you do something that you know is wrong, it doesn't make God love you any less. It doesn't change the way God loves you, but it changes the way you love God, doesn't it? You feel that. This is why when Adam and Eve sinned, God was looking for them. They hid from God. Shame separated them from God. So if you're feeling distance, maybe it's shame. Maybe you're like, look at all the stuff I've done. I don't know if I can, the skeletons in the closet are pretty loud. Listen, we're gonna end with this idea. Simple. But it's true and it's biblical. The devil knows your name. He does know your name. That's not the principle. The devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Right? So say, no, no, no. Adulterer. Cheater. Lazy. Apathetic. I know what you've done. Reminds you of that over and over in shame. Cause you to hide, separate from God. Some of you guys watching online, you haven't come back to church in person because of shame. Do you think the church is going to implode when, if you come into space? Okay? The devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. That's more than just a feel good message you put in on a bumper sticker, that's reality. Not only that, Jesus knows your sin, but he calls you forgiven. Calls you blessed. You still have a future and a hope. It's not over. The best days can still be ahead. See, Adam and Eve thought God was out to get them. He's trying to rescue him. So, can I challenge you? If this is not right, it has nothing again to do with church attendance you can be around the presence of God all the time and never touch it. Get right with God. And only you know, only you know if you're right with God. And if there's ever a, a, a time where you want prayer, come find me or Natalie or one of the elders or go to anybody on the production team. They would love to pray with you. when They're super insecure. They're like, please don't come to me right now. Uh, but they would love that more than anything else. We want to support you. And if you're just going, I just want to close that gap between me and God, would you pray for me? Yes. Today I will. Tuesday night at 10 o'clock I will. Whatever time you want, we will. There's nothing we want more than to close that gap. So with that, we're going to end by taking communion. uh, So that you're probably wondering what that little uh, strange thing is. If if you're new to this style of communion, uh, because of COVID and stuff, we, we usually do like a big thing of bread and then like a, like a chalice, for lack of a better words. Uh, but we're, that's probably not COVID-friendly. So we do these. Uh, so when you're ready, all communion is, is it's remembering the death of Jesus. It's remembering that we can never bridge that gap. But Jesus, God says, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. The what we're going to find is that when you get closer to God, God is actually moving way more to you. He bridged that gap for us through the cross. If you've ever wondered if God loves you, if you're wondered if God knows your name, if God even cares, or if you are just spare parts, the cross is proof that God loves you, that He would do anything to have relationship with you. Not because of your perfection, but in the middle of your garbage, in your lowest moments, the stuff that you don't want anybody to know. He knows all of that. The skeletons in the closet, you're like, I'm not even telling my spouse this stuff. He sees that. In the middle of that junk, he loves you, says, I have a purpose for you. I want to use you to change the world. We remember that when we take communion. And he says this, when Jesus led the first communion, he said, do this in remembrance. What that means is you're going to forget So do this often so you remember how much I value this relationship because you're going to forget. So we're going to sing one last song together. At any time, when you're comfortable, feel free to take the elements. There's a little, like, wafer in the top, uh, symbolic of Jesus' body, and then there's juice, non-alcoholic. You have to get that stuff on your own. Uh, That's symbolic of Jesus' blood. It's built for us. Okay, let me pray for us, and then we'll uh, we'll sing the song together. God, we just... God, I pray for freedom. I pray for breath of fresh air. I pray for hope, God. I pray that people would leave today feeling lighter. God, I pray against shame and anxiety and stress. God, I pray for the hope of God to be on this place. God, for anybody who, um, they've just drifted away from you, intentionally, unintentionally, but there's there's space, too much space between them and you. God, I pray, would you draw them right now? Would they feel you drawing them right now? Would they get right with you, God? Would they have a thriving, real relationship with you? Not just faithful attendance to a service, but a thriving relationship with you that impacts every area of their life. We pray for that. I want that, God. I want that. Would you help us to do that? As we take these elements, would we remember the true heart of the matter? that your name, your image is on our hearts, and we surrender it to you. In Jesus' name, amen.